0: Of Jesus. I mean, it's just a great time of year to just kind of center ourselves on the foundation of the hope, love, joy, and peace that the coming of Jesus brings us. I also like presents and I like Christmas lights. So, th- so there's that. And, and I like food too. So I enjoy all those kinds of things as well. And one of our family traditions at this time of the year is we watch Christmas movies. We have, and, and, and listen, I got to say, <clears throat> the corny stuff on Hallmark doesn't count. I just, I'm I'm just saying, you know, no perfect people allowed, and so if you disagree with me, it's fine, you know, we can be unified and be here together because of Jesus, but uh, okay, a little tongue-in-cheek, but really, you know, we stick to the really quality Christmas films, the classics like... Tim Allen's The Santa Claus, you know, and all three of them, too. We watch, we watch them all, and we enjoy that kind of stuff. So over the next few Sundays, we're going to springboard our, uh, our worship of God through Scripture through the themes that we find in movies, and specifically Christmas movies, because movies, uh, not only, they, these Christmas movies not only reflect the spirit of the season, uh, but when we really look at the message behind them, they capture themes of life. Um, And as human beings who are created in the image of God, all of our stories somehow turn back to and are connected to the themes that God has created within us. And so as we look at these stories, we see how maybe they kind of apply to our lives, maybe in a good way or maybe in a way for us to correct. Um, That's what we're going to be doing over the the next few weeks. And so the first movie that we're going to be looking at is The Grinch. Now, when I say The Grinch, I'm not sure what version you're thinking of, but there are only two that I know of. Actually, I know there are more, uh, but there are only two that count, and that's the original How the Grinch Stole Christmas. All right, some of you are like, I'm, I'm original only, and that's Jim Carrey's version, and I, I, and I heard earlier this morning that might be a little controversial, and it's okay if you have a wrong opinion. Again, like, it's, it's, it's fine, um, but there's, there's a lot of talent re- represented there. I've never seen the most recent The Grinch, that's just, so I don't know if that's good or not. You can give me your recommendation after the service if you want to. So I don't know how that fits in with, with the source material. But um, when we're talking about you know, how the Grinch stole Christmas, we're, we're talking about that, that book that Dr. Seuss wrote in 1957. Theodore Geisel. Did you know that? That's his actual name. It wasn't Dr. Seuss. I saw his house once in, in La Jolla. It was cool. Um, and uh, so in, in 1957, the book later became an animated feature. And then here's IMDb's description. Every time we do a, a movie series, we, I always got to read IMDb's description because they're, they're so wonderfully terrible. And so this is, for those of you who have never seen it, I'm gonna apologize in advance, it might be spoiled for you just a little bit. On the outskirts of Whoville lives a green, revenge-seeking Grinch who plans to ruin Christmas for all the citizens of the town. And here's why I think I I like the most about the character of the Grinch. It's, uh, yeah, I like the character of the Grinch, it's true. Uh, I think he's very relatable. Wait a second, I thought you said you like Christmas, you enjoy all those things. Yes, I do, I like Christmas, but not everybody does. And for very valid reasons, sometimes I, there are things that take me out of the mood of enjoying Christmas. Uh, if you're in that more bah humbug frame of mind, I totally get it. There are things that people participate in this time of year that can kind of feel gross, like I mentioned before, the materialism. So it's all about getting the latest toy and everything's completely sold out all the time or the selfish attitude sometimes that I'm the only one who has a family that I'm trying to get stuff for or try to do stuff, for, you know, for those kinds of things. Or just the hustle and bustle that just kind of ignores other people that's time of celebration we should be able to share in together, but we're like kind of individually, we just don't care about other people because we're trying to get what we want out of that. Uh, In 1957, Redbook did an interview. That's where uh, this story was originally published by Dr. Seuss. And this is what uh, Theodore Geisel said about coming up with the idea of this book. I was brushing my teeth on the morning of 26th of last December when I noted a very Grinchish countenance in the mirror. It was Seuss aka him. Uh, Something had gone wrong with Christmas, I realized, or more likely with me. So I wrote the story about my sour friend, the Grinch, to see if I could rediscover something about Christmas that obviously I had lost. So the Grinch is really the story, and you know this if you've seen it, uh, is of a being who has lost the meaning of Christmas and how he rediscovered it. And that rediscovering and that remembering is important for all of us each year because it is so easy to get distracted by all the other things that really just don't matter quite that much. Maybe the Grinch was on to something, after all. I mean, the Bible doesn't say anything about celebrating Christmas. I don't know if you knew that, but it, the word Christmas isn't, isn't in the Bible. In fact, Jesus wasn't even born on December 25th. And you might be like, what? I had no clue. Uh, Before you get nervous, by the way, I'm not about to launch into a diatribe against celebrating Christmas. Like that's that's not where this is headed at all. Um, It's absolutely a great opportunity to honor, worship, and celebrate God for what He's done. It's just good for us to kind of uh, re-remember, rediscover the purpose in which we're celebrating what it's all about. In college, there was a Christmas tree that was uh, the college that Renee and I went to. There's a Christmas tree up in one of the lobby, uh, one of the dorm lobbies and and somebody had put the sheet of paper up into into the tree and i'm like what in the world is this so I pulled it out and looked at it and they uh, had written out this bible verse and this little note that like christmas trees are wrong and christians shouldn't put them up and I'm like what in the world where are you getting this kind of stuff from there's always one especially at a christian university you know there's always somebody <laughs> like that well this is this is the verse that they put out there jeremiah 10 uh, 2 through 4. Maybe you've never heard this before. This is what the Lord says. Do not learn the ways of the nations or be terrified by signs in the heavens. The nations are terrified by them. For the practices of the peoples are worthless. They cut a tree out of the forest and a craftsman shapes it with his chisel. They adorn it with silver and gold and they fasten it with hammer and nails so it will not totter. Whoa. Wait a minute, what's going on here? I I don't know about you, but I'm good. I didn't cut down my Christmas tree this year. I got mine on the cheap from Target a couple years ago. So we're, we're fine, right? We didn't put silver and gold on it, so it must be okay. Huge eye roll moment here. Because obviously this verse has nothing to do with Christmas trees, and yet somehow we just find ways to ruin things for other people. like kind of be grinches about that. Uh, Christmas trees weren't a thing hundreds of years before Jesus was born. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, if you had that passage open and you looked in your Bible at the verse that's coming after it, you can see that the passage is really talking about idols. And those are the things that get us in trouble. Those are the things that distract us and maybe take, out the, take away the spirit of the season in which God wants us to enjoy or be able to celebrate throughout life, you know, not just this time of the year. And that's really what made the Grinch who he was. He assumed the Who's in Whoville were only participating in celebrating Christmas because all of the traditions, all of the trimmings and the trappings, and all of the you know, idols, which if you watch the Jim Carrey version, you kind of see that play out. And the problem that he has with things that are going on. And that's what had harmed his perspective on Christmas. And here's the thing, though. If you were to take everything away, all the decorations, all the lights, all the food, all the presents, all the festive atmosphere, take away all the family and the friends that we enjoy spending time with, the parties, the nativities, the Christmas Eve services, if we took those away, uh, the traditions, there would still be a reason to celebrate. And that reason would not be diminished in the slightest. The Advent season accomplishes two things. We celebrate that Jesus was born because of what God accomplished on the cross and through the empty tomb. And therefore, the second thing is we celebrate the fact that Jesus is coming again soon, that we get to look forward to his second coming as well. And that's the frame of reference from which we can celebrate Christmas together. Even if we had nothing at Christmas, we would still have hope because of who Jesus is. And that's exactly the process that the Grinch goes through. He takes everything that he thinks is making the Who's happy, he removes it, he's about to dump it on Mount Crumpet. You like that? And he realizes even after he removes everything, they still get together and they still celebrate because there's something more to it than all the stuff. And so we get this classic line from Dr. Seuss, then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. What if Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store? What if Christmas perhaps means a little bit more? It's easy to get distracted from what Christmas is all about, but it doesn't have to be that way. And all we need is a shift of focus to the hope that we can hold in our hearts. And that shift you know, is, is, is away from our own experiences, it's away from what's going on in our life at this time, it's away from the expectations that other people have placed on us or that we have placed on ourselves and what it means to have a good Christmas and to make that happen in our lives. It's shifted to what God has done in us. The Christmas tradition isn't what prepares us for the hope that this season brings, but how we treat each other, how we lead each other, that's where we find that's where we find hope. Later in his interview that I mentioned earlier with Redbook, Geisel uh, talked about how he struggled with coming up for the ending of The Grinch and what would cause his heart Uh, To grow three sizes that day and that finally he just ends up like fast-forwarding to him carving the roast beast essentially uh, because he didn't want to get too preachy about why that life change might happen with uh, the Grinch and I can relate You know not wanting to get too preachy uh, sometimes. I, I, I get that But I sincerely believe that if Christmas doesn't come from a store and is going to mean a little bit more that there's a hope that is worth believing and sharing in that has a reason much deeper than the season. One of the narratives of Jesus' birth in Matthew Matthew chapter 2, if you want to turn to there this morning, supplies its own Grinch character that maybe you're familiar with, uh, but this time in the form of an actual person who lived, and his name was King Herod. So I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem. By the way, this visit from the magi did not come when Jesus was born and in the manger. This came uh, this came later. And so, when you put up your nativities this year, uh, just put the magi on the on the like the other side of the room because they're they're still traveling to get there. I don't know if you knew that or not, uh, but you can put them somewhere else. And even if you wanted to, you can move them along uh, each day. But uh, they they don't go right next to the shepherds. It takes place uh, at the house that they were living in before they had to flee to Egypt for their lives. So that's when this visit happens. And the Magi came to Herod and they asked, Where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him, and I'll tell you why here in a a minute. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And if you don't know much about King Herod, you might think, oh, he's kind of getting into the spirit. So he's got, um, he's got Jewish religious leaders and teachers uh, there to kind of explain these prophecies of Scripture that point to the, the Messiah that are coming. So he's like, oh, right, here's this great time for me to be able to celebrate as well. But that's not what he wants to do at all. Herod is the poster child for feeling threatened by any possible means by which his power and control might be diminished. Uh, This was Herod the Great, by the way. Uh, He didn't earn that title because he was a great guy. He earned that title because he uh, was brutal about building as many buildings and homages to himself that he possibly could. He was a ruthless leader. Um, And uh, he learns about this king and that the Magi have come to worship, and he's not happy at all. This is why Jerusalem is troubled. This is why the whole place is disturbed, because when Herod goes on one of his rampages, people die. And most of the time, it's multiple people and quite a lot of people sometimes at a time. We know a lot about Herod because of the historian Josephus, and what we know about him is that he had a penchant for, for, like I said, killing people, and particularly his own family. So he'd get really paranoid that his sons, for example, were going to try to take power from him, so he'd kill them. He's paranoid that his wife is plotting against him, so he kills her. He has many wives, many children, and this is just a theme in his life. Uh, He got crazier and more paranoid towards the end of of his life. He actually, as he was dying, he made a decree that his that he wanted his sister to carry out, and that is to kill like as many uh, officials in his court as possible at his death, so at least somebody was mourning someone. I mean, that's, that's how bad of a dude this was, uh, so I think he's pretty, pretty grinchish, you know, as far as uh, a case of missing, missing the point. Thankfully, his family didn't carry out his wishes. Well, the Magi didn't go back to Herod, and they didn't share with him who Jesus was. They were warned about him and what his intentions really were. And when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, this is Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. By the way, there's no happy ending uh, for Herod here. He actually would soon die after Jesus' birth, a horrible uh, death. You know what Herod, Herod's problem was? is that he was completely obsessed with idolatry, so much so that he missed the opportunity that he had for his heart to be completely changed. Power, lust, fame, fortune, when he heard about Jesus, his heart was so constricted by greed and jealousy and hate that all he could think to do was to wipe out this possible threat to his power and his control. If you and I were tyrants, we'd we'd feel the same way. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, we have this prophetic quotation from Micah 5:2 that is quite threatening to a despotic king that kills his own sons because he's paranoid that they are plotting his death. That born in Bethlehem will be a ruler who, were sh- who will shepherd. Israel. And Herod was so consumed by his desire for political power and position that there would be no other way about thinking about this child the Magi are searching for. You know, this is just simply a challenge to his throne and his life. And so he's going to hold on to everything that he possibly can as tightly as possible. Jesus was never coming for any of that. It wasn't coming for Herod's throne. That was too small of a goal. And Jesus' reign as king and shepherd isn't for any political gain at all. It's for a heart. And sometimes if we don't allow ourselves to be open to that, we are the despotic tyrants of our own hearts. You know, some of the things that we hold on to, maybe some of the idols, you know, things, expectations that we have or the things that, um, you know, that we worship with our time and money and efforts and resources or just our thought life you know, that keep us from fully experiencing the hope that God means to bring to our hearts through Jesus, for our opportunity for our hearts to grow into the heart of God. There's so many different ways we can look at Christmas. We can be stressed, we can be greedy, we can be over it, we can be happy for the wrong reasons, we can fill up the calendar with as many activities as possible to squeeze every ounce of fun out of it we can and be miserable along the way. But there's also something that causes it to be a little bit more and we can have a whole different, whole different experience. A couple thousand years ago, God became a man named Jesus. Fully God and fully man, he lived his life and defeated sin and death through the cross and the empty tomb. And has enabled our hearts to expand in capacity in ways that we could never accomplish on our own. And as disciples of Jesus, God's Holy Spirit dwells within us. That that expands our hearts to an eternal, infinite level. And our capacity for faith, hope, joy, love, and peace grows beyond our understanding. Especially when we choose to participate in experiencing it and sharing it with other people. It breaks through the idols that we've held on to maybe bitterly for years. Even Herod could have been changed by God's grace if he looked past himself and his experience and opened himself. His heart considered what it might mean for the world for God to be faithful to his word. As it often goes with analogies, there's a distinct contrast between Herod and the Grinch. The Grinch chooses hope. You know, he changes, his heart grows three sizes. And that happens because he observed others participating in that hope of Christmas. He he's heard the singing, he stopped and looked and considered what it meant, that they still were celebrating, in fa- despite everything else being taken away. And it works the same way with us. We grow our hearts and experience th- hope through participation in what God has done and what God is going to do and is doing. However you might be thinking about Christmas this year, maybe you're feeling a little grinchy, I I get it, I understand it, or you love it like me, I want to encourage you to consciously choose something this week that you're going to do to anchor your heart in the hope that God establishes through Jesus. The hope that we have in the Messiah, and what enlarges our hearts to be able to share that hope with other people. It could be following along with the Advent calendar that we have on uh, VelocityChurch.info. Maybe you didn't know that we had one on there, but they're great everyday experiences that you can go through that will kind of keep you anchored to that, participate in that hope. Or maybe it's just reading and going through the popular Christmas narratives at the beginning of Matthew and Mark, and you can kind of... Just keep reading through those to keep yourself anchored to that that story and that feeling of what's, what's happening, what God is doing, and how unique it is and how amazing it is that he's sending Jesus in this way. Maybe it's just choosing to go to the company Christmas party and trying to enjoy it and having a good spirit about it. I mean, sometimes sometimes those are tough. Sometimes, you know, you, you have German terrorists come and, uh, and ruin that, right? Plot of die Hard. All right. Christmas party. Okay, Uh, maybe it's it's just this year. It's like I'm gonna put up a Christmas decoration. You know, I'm I'm gonna I don't know. I'm gonna put up a light or a blow up or something like that. Sometimes it only takes one, and then later on in your life, you get a whole beautiful yard full of Christmas uh, blow ups. Maybe just using Christmas as an excuse to hang out with some friends and just intentionally say, "Hey, I'm gonna share some hope just just with the way that I'm acting and treating somebody else," or maybe. Maybe if your schedule is crazy, maybe for you kind of holding and anchoring your heart to that hope is cutting something out. Maybe it's not not doing something and saying, you know what, this tradition, we, we just let's, let's take some time to be still and to be quiet and, and anchor ourselves in the hope that God has given us. Something that keeps you grounded in the little bit more that Jesus' hope gives us that nothing else can provide. This is a consistent part of how God transforms us. And so I just want to read one last passage of scripture and then we'll be done. Listen to this promise he makes to the people of Israel, and how he continues to make this promise and keep this keep this promise through promise throughout all of human history. This is from Ezekiel chapter thirty-six, verses twenty-four through twenty-eight. For I will take you out of the nations; I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. The principles of this promise that God is consistent with throughout all of Scripture and throughout all of human history are ultimately fulfilled in its permanent state through Jesus. And this for all of us. And so may we make that the hope that we celebrate this Christmas. That's the foundation. That's the thing that really matters. There are plenty of Grinches out there. It's easy to be a Grinch. May we be the ones whose hearts have the room to welcome those Grinches to our tables, to share the hope of Jesus that gives us a reason to celebrate, that we might see how our hearts are expanded for something a little bit more and a little bit better through the hope we have through the Messiah being born and coming again. Let's pray. God, um, we just celebrate, we, we honor you, and we praise you for the fact that we have a hope that um, not everyone does, uh, simply because we recognize the, the change that Jesus brings to our hearts. How it completely changes our character, the way that we view the world. It changes how we uh, respond to uh, things that are happening in life. It gives us a, a brand new way of living and, and approaching the things that are, that are happening around us. So God, help us to, um, to enter into this moment of, of celebration, this, this time where we just have an opportunity to uh, celebrate who you are and what you've done. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.